Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta coming to you from XL Energy Center before the Wild restart their season tonight against the Detroit Red Wings. Hopefully everybody had a very happy holidays and are getting ready for a stretch drive here with the Wild having won 10 of 13 under John Hines and six in a row at home under John Hines. And uh, uh, our next live show is January 16th at Tuttle's at 7 p.m. Get there early and we've got a Grain Belt special where the pint of beer that you buy comes in a Worst Seats in the House glass you get to keep that glass so uh, come out there january 16th early get some dinner enjoy a live podcast as well and thanks to our newest sponsor huxley opticals huxleyoptical.com uh they have stores in roseville and wyzetta and really appreciate their support of this podcast anthony uh man uh first of all how was your holidays look like a lot of scrumptious food at the lapanta yeah. household it's um it feels like the holidays have been going on for two weeks <laughs> and it, we were actually just talking about it down here this morning at the arena that Going back to December 20 was the night that the my boys flew in. Mm-hmm. So that night, just kind of hosted a late dinner, cocktails, happy hour when they arrived. From that night until through December 28th, we have either hosted or had a wild game every single night. So it's uh, it's been, been tired. Yeah, and really, if you go back, I suppose the 18th and 19th were games in Boston and Pittsburgh. So we had game night, game night, hosted, had a game night. Then we had the Feast of Seven Fishes, then a game night. Then it was Christmas Eve. We had the Build Your Own Pizza Night. Then we had terrific steaks on Christmas Day. Last night, hosted a dinner party, game night tonight. Tomorrow night, we have one last dinner with Gianni and Zach before they go back to Connecticut. And then the 29th, when we fly to Winnipeg and I land in Winnipeg, there's a chance that might be an early to bed night as <laughs> the, the holiday. They've been great though. It's so much fun to, and as you know, we love to host. So it, it's just been a nonstop dinner party, whatever at our house for about the last 10 days. And yet you keep your weight off, which is so aggravating. Well, I do. Uh, we your do, whole family does. We do try to get, still get to the gym every day, even throughout all this, make sure you get a, some kind of a workout in because we're just playing for the tie at this point. And right. now we'll now we'll get serious about that part of life again here after we maybe get through the next week. By the way, if you want to come to Portugal with Anthony and I next summer, uh, mid-July, uh, go to defineddestinations.com. Final uh, spots are available and you can hang out and uh, see how Anthony uh, puts in his uh, circuit training during <laughs> the midst of our training. That was the most annoying thing. I remember in Tuscany once we got to that villa and everybody's just exhausted from drinking wine all day. And then I look out the window and you and AJ are doing like, like circuit running. And I'm like this, that's how well, they keep their weight off. Yeah. And to be clear, we're not, it's, it's not like we're training for decathlons or anything, but I feel better when I try to get the blood flowing and, mm. and sweat a little bit, but it is, it's just playing for the tie. If you're going to eat and drink the way we eat and drink, then you got to be willing to, to get after a little bit just to stay even. Uh, Ryan Hartman re- returns to the lineup tonight. Uh, was playing really well the first couple of games that he was put back in a top six role, but was said this morning that he was playing through an upper body injury. Finally had to uh, call it quits and take a couple of games off, and now he's back in the lineup tonight. They'll reunite that second line with Marcus Johansson and Marco Rossi. Top line of Eric Sinek and Kaprizov and Boldy stay together. Felino goes back down to the third line with Goudreau and um, Pat Maroon, and then the fourth line will be Vinny Letary, Connor Dewar, and Brandon Duham. Uh, Damon Hunt, Jake Lucchini, our uh, scratch night, Jared Spurgeon looks like a game or two away from returning. 
Um, and get Philip Gustafson gets the net, as I mentioned uh, tonight as well. Let's talk about Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, Anthony. This guy uh, is going to play his 999th game in Winnipeg or home against Winnipeg. Um, and then probably my guess is his thousandth game on January 4th against the Tampa Bay Lightning, just because Gustafson is a wild killer. And I would think that you'd, excuse me, a flames killer. And you would want to, I would think, have uh, uh, Flurry play his thousandth at home. Um, we saw the other night the extra energy that they get for him to get his last two victories against the Boston Bruins just says everything about this guy's competitiveness at 39 years old, not 50. Well, the game he played in Boston, I thought was he was amazing. He didn't have to be great in the game here against Boston, but there's just something about uh, the way a team plays in front of a goaltender. And right now, his confidence and his energy is bleeding through to the team. I think the team's played really well in front of him in both of those games. It's fun to watch the guys get excited for him. They know what kind of teammate he's been, and they know how he's handled this situation where he's not playing every night this year. Essentially a backup, even though I know they technically don't name him that, but he's the second goaltender here. And yet every day he's brings all the energy in the world to practice, to morning skates, to plane rides, bus trips, you name it. He's got the same personality, the same expression on mm -hmm. his face, the same love for the game and for life. And I think guys appreciate that. And it's been a great example for all these players. You know, how does, I know you asked John Hines today about how Ryan Hartman handled being on the fourth line. Well, how does a guy inside that room walk, into a coach's office or pout in any way when he's looking across the room at a future Hall of Famer who's handling a lesser role as a great teammate. I think that just even though it's totally different for a goaltender and a forward, I think that kind of stuff matters. And I think that kind of stuff seeps through the rest of a team. Yep, I totally agree with you. Um, and by the way, I was remiss to uh, say that your son, Vinny, uh, and his buddy Michael Waters will be joining the show later in the uh, later in the show. They, so and they claim they've been doing research that they they say they've got that they think they can challenge us with topics. Okay. So I, I have no idea. They won't. They refuse to share them with me. But they say they're going to be able to challenge us with topics. So I uh, wild related, not just like life related. So we'll see. <laughs> it should be it should be interesting. They are avid wild fans I know. and they watch every game and I know they follow every comment that we make and and they do listen to the show every week so they've claimed that's what they they claim that they listen to some of the questions some of the conversations some of the topics and they say we've got some that can challenge you cool so, so uh, we'll be doing that and, and answer some Twitter questions later but maybe they'll cover a lot of those um topics um Let's let's talk about Kaprizov continues to just play well. I know we talked about him a lot on the last podcast, but um, even the other night where the goals maybe weren't going in for him, um, he still scores the huge goal um, there. And it just feels like right now um, he is just playing his best hockey. He's the reigning number one star of the week. Uh, back to back overtime wins uh, winners. First wild player to do that since Brent Burns. Now has eight overtime goals, but building into tonight's game, four goals, three assists during a four-game point streak, and doing this crazily without Matt Zuccarello in the lineup, Anthony. You know, it's interesting because I've looked at a lot of the advanced numbers for his game mm -hmm. to try to figure out, like, is the game different? Does it, it, it for sure looks different, and it feels different. A lot of the numbers aren't different. Mm -hmm. The shots, the chances, they're about the same. And I remember the game in Pittsburgh, there were a couple shifts late in the game where it 
the eye test said he looked like he was yeah. back. We, I looked at the analytics that night and it was like 52, 54% in terms of attempts for and high danger chances for. So it wasn't, it wasn't like they went out and dominated the game, but it just looked different. Mm-hmm. And it's been great ever since then. He had the winner against Boston the next game, the winner again here when Montreal was in St. Paul, and then you know had a great game against Boston again. I asked John Hines this morning if he thought his game was different and or if it was just pucks going in, and he said, eh, I think it's more just pucks are going in. And the, the numbers would support that, that his shots and everything are not necessarily up but it sure feels different. Yeah. And, and then it, obviously the, the, the back-to-back overtime winners at three on three, he's just an ex- electric three on three player. Like the open ice and the, right. But early this season, he yeah. wasn't controlling games in overtimes. And there is just something about a, a guy like him that he doesn't miss in those spots. We've seen him miss earlier in the season. Yeah. And now this week he didn't. And that's how a guy lands as the number one star of the week. But like the, the, the overtime winner that he had against Montreal here was a it, that was an elite finish and caught it flush, buries it in the upper corner, mm-hmm. and it, you know those are the plays that special goal scorers score, and some other guys miss the net. Yeah, absolutely. Um, trying to think, any other guys we should get to? Uh, uh, I, I did want to talk to you about the upcoming schedule. Um, you know, we talked on the last podcast that this team has put themselves back into a playoff position. They're two points back with a game in hand on eighth place Arizona. Um, they haven't played Arizona yet. They will in a couple of weeks. They've they haven't played, played five divisional games. It's crazy. The fewest in the league. Mm-hmm. They've played fewer home games than any team in the league. And we've talked about the the way the travel schedule was a grind. You can sense it. And I'm we've been dragging. Mm-hmm. And the Sweden trip took a lot out of this team and it also creates a condensed schedule. When you play two times in 13 days, everything else has to be more condensed. There's already been three trips to the East coast. This was the key stretch. It was first of all, the right before Christmas, the nine in a row against the Western conference. And now they're in the midst of an eight out of 11 at home. These were the stretches in the schedule where you had a chance to catch up, catch your breath a little bit and make up some ground. And so far they've taken advantage of both of those stretches they took advantage of the nine in a row against the West. Now they're, they've started to take advantage in this eight out of 11 at home. Mm-hmm. They got to finish it though. You've got the, the back-to-back games against Winnipeg at the end of the month are important, but then those two home games before then they get back to the balance mm-hmm. of road and home, you know, the Tampa and Calgary home games. So I think this is a really important stretch. As we talked on last week's show, if you look at points percentage, they're basically back they're right there with all the other teams. And I still believe they're better than all those other bubble teams. They're mm-hmm. better than Arizona. They're better than St. Louis. They're better than Nashville. And you know, that that's, those are the teams that you're chasing. You're not chasing Colorado and Dallas. You are, but you're not going to, you don't have to catch them. Right. So these are the teams you have to pass. And they got plenty of opportunities head to head against all of those teams. Yep, exactly. Uh, they, uh, in coming up on the schedule, they got obviously Detroit tonight. Um, and then they got the home and home against the Jets, which are huge games. And then uh, home Calgary, home Tampa at Columbus, home Dallas at Dallas, then uh, Philadelphia, Arizona, and Islanders at home, then uh, at Tampa Bay, Florida, and Carolina, Washington, Nashville, and Anaheim, Hockey Day, Minnesota to wrap up before the All Star game and the bye. So they have a 
a really good opportunity to make some unbelievable headway and go into that bye week uh, in not only a playoff spot, but almost like a secure playoff spot if they can uh, really gain a lot of uh, stretch. And if you look at their February-March schedules, um, pretty favorable coming up as well. So they have put themselves in a quality position, especially if you can go into that last road trip in a, in a playoff spot. Um, John Hines, 10-3 uh, and three under him, six in a row at home, uh, second-best goals against in the league in that stretch, most uh, points in the league in that stretch, second-best save percentage in that stretch. Um, tactically, do you see a lot of differences or is, uh, like, where is this coming from right now? Uh, obviously they're getting like saves. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. Their save percentage was 30th in the league when he started and it's 868. Right. And, and now it's second best to Winnipeg since he's been here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing They're I, they are playing a more confident brand of hockey. And I don't know if that's tactical or if it's, you win a couple games and all of a sudden the confidence starts to grow. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I, I do think that he's got a tremendous attention to detail with things and trying to implement this bit by bit on the fly during the season is not easy. And I think he's done a great job of that. He talks about it all the time, feeding just a little bit at a time. Okay, now we've got this. Now we can add this stuff that you would have added all of it during a normal training camp and you're adding it bit by bit as you go. So I think there's some credit that needs to be given there. I think what's the most amazing about this stretch is you think back to Spurgeon gets hurt or Brodine gets hurt in Edmonton, doesn't play. Two games later, they lose Spurgeon. Two games after that, they lose Zuccarello. Game after that, they lose Hartman. And now you're talking about two of your top nine forwards at the time, your leading scorer in Zuccarello, your best two defensemen in Spurgeon and Brodine, and yet the team hasn't missed a step. Mm-hmm. And I think that's there. You have to give credit to a coaching staff when that kind of stuff happens because you're plugging guys in that are guys that you either didn't even have on your roster, you certainly weren't counting on, and those that you were counting on, you weren't counting on them in the roles they're playing. You think about all of Brock Faber, number one power play in 30 plus minutes a night, Letary playing every night. Lucini jumping up and playing on the second line for a night. The minutes that they've been giving to Hunt and Mermis and Merrill and Goligoski. Bogosian's been great since he came back. There's just a lot of guys who have really stepped up. And I think you have to give credit to a coaching staff for making those seamless when new guys jump into the lineup. Because to maintain this and to go 10-3 and during this stretch, yes, the schedule was favorable more so than it had been before. But you've done it without those four guys for the lion's share. I think that's really impressive. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and Bogosian was saying the other night that he thinks that sometimes, you know, the average hockey fan, but also I'm sure he was saying to media, um, you know, really discount the fact that, that when there are injuries, that guys do, that the, that there are really good players in the NHL. And sometimes you look at a guy and say, all right, Bogosian, you just pigeonhole him. He's a third pair guy. Merrill's a third pair guy. Uh, Goligoski is on the definitely back at nine of his of his career, but inside that room, they're not very surprised that guys have been able to step up in these positions and play really well. And you look at the elevated minutes that a guy like Bogosian is getting, and suddenly you gain traction in your game. Right. Look at Jake Middleton right now. You know he's looking like a heck of a defenseman, and All, he's playing. Yeah. And I'm I'm telling you, he's playing with a little bit of an injury, and he's still looking really good. and playing with confidence though. And so a lot of times you learn something about these guys in these spots mm-hmm. that can benefit you once everybody else comes back. So now throw Spurgeon and Brodeen back onto your blue line 
and your top four with those two guys and and Faber and Middleton looks very sturdy. But now look at a third set that has a guy like Bogosian. And, and most of the time when you're talking about these depth guys, they're capable of it for a couple of weeks. You probably couldn't ask mm-hmm. Zach Bogosian to play 21 minutes <clears throat> a night every single night for a season. But he's shown he can handle it for two, for two weeks. And now all of a sudden, if you can roll him back a little bit to, let's say, 12, 14, 15 minutes a night on a third pair, you might have a really valuable 5-6 defenseman there in Bogosian. And, and I think sometimes you don't learn that about guys until opportunities are presented. A guy moving up in the lineup is another example. And you know, look at what Freddie Gaudreau did when he was thrown up in the lineup and all of a sudden proved he could play. Again, maybe not for 82 nights, but he can, if you need a guy to jump up in the, your lineup for a couple of weeks, you know that he can do it. Ryan Hartman's an, a great example of that. And I, we're going to see him with Johansson and Rossi in this game against Detroit here tonight. So there, sometimes you have to have opportunities to show that, but then you learn something about a guy that can help you once everybody's back. Absolutely well said. And again, we're coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio, your installers of Connecticut Water Treatment Systems Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Again, thanks to Huxley Optical, our newest. Sponsor our next live show is January 16th at Tuttle's. Here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. This holiday season, amidst the joy of family gatherings and the warmth of hot cocoa, don't forget the unsung hero of winter, your furnace. Is it up for the challenge of the season ahead? Well, Aquarius Home Services invites you to make worry-free moments a reality with their heating and cooling expertise. If you're dreaming of snug winter nights, unwrap the gift of 25% discount through their holiday super sale. Available through the festive season, transform your home into a haven of comfort with a complimentary in-home consultation, offering respectful, on-time, and professional service, along with upfront pricing tailored to your needs. Make this holiday season memorable and cozy with AquariusHomeServices.com, where comfort meets savings. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you. And here's a word from Bowen Lodge on Lake Winnebagoshish. Since 1925, Bowen Lodge has built its reputation as a world-class resort for walleye fishermen visiting northern Minnesota, as well as a premier vacation destination for families seeking the Northwoods experience. Bowen has been owned and operated by the High Family for over 40 years and across three generations. Families continue to make Bowen Lodge their home away from home. Traditions have been forged around the campfire, at the beach, on a sunset pontoon ride, or around the cabin. Bowen's five-star location within the Chippewa National Forest allows guests to escape the noise of everyday life, literally and figuratively. Enjoy comfortable cabins overlooking Lake Winnebagoshish, plus a marina that benefits from the calm, protected waters of Cutfoot Sioux Lake. Amenities like fiber internet, AC, and fully equipped kitchens also allow guests to enjoy peace at the lake with the same conveniences of home. The resort is situated at the end of the road in the middle of the woods, giving guests a true experience in the wild north. It's where eagles soar above your cabin and the call of the loons echoes over the lake. At Bowen Lodge, you become family. Start your journey at bowenlodge.com. 
Well, welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Mike Russo, Anthony LaPanta coming to you uh, now from Chateau LaPanta. Uh, we, we changed locations, Anthony. We moved this, the Aquarius Home Services studio. Yep. Uh, right to the uh, LaPanta household. Because... First time it's ever switched in yeah. mid-show, I think. Now, because uh, the reason why is because, as we mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, your son, Vinny LaPanta, and his best buddy here, Michael Waters, um, it, w- have w- long wanted to come on the podcast and, and pepper us with questions, bring up they the topics. They claim they have topics that can yeah. challenge us. Well, Michael's <laughs> walked over to this table with a laptop, which makes yeah. me concerned. Um, and for the for the record, so Michael's got two other brothers. We would have let Charlie on the air, but definitely not the oldest brother, John. No, John was, yeah. he would not be allowed. Charlie probably wouldn't say anything. He'd just come and laugh. That's true, actually. I've met Charlie 10 times, and I don't think he's even, I've even said hello to right. him. Um, but, uh, no, but John, John not loves to speak. He would. And he you would. Think, is, it, is it possible that Charlie doesn't speak because John just wouldn't <laughs> shut up? Well, I've lived next door to these guys for 15 years. I've lived in the same neighborhood for 30. And I can say that I've heard Charlie speak when yelling at John. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that one night at the fire circle, like, uh, where John was just, oh yeah. The. That's right. All right. So, uh, how do you want to start this? You want to just well, hand, the, hand them? Ha- yeah, yeah, they claim they're going to pay, that they've got topics. So, all they've Michael claims that he's been wanting this opportunity for years. So, I guess we'll let them fire away. I just want to say I appreciate you guys giving us this platform. Me and Vinny <laughs> met last night. We went through all these questions. <laughs> yeah. They've Very been well vetted, yeah. and so we appreciate you giving us this platform. So, my first question is: While they're currently wrapping up their uh, annual December. Hope Salesathon, and I just like to say I have re-upped my annual, you know, membership. I've purchased my package for the year. I would just like to know or have you guys explain why you believe this year is different than the last ten years. I just <laughs> to try to get me back in the black. That's a hand, That's a that's an Anthony question. Every every year, you always when it comes to playoff time, you say specifically, Anthony, that this year is different because of blah 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 blah. Oh, every year. We go up two to one in the first series. We lose in the first round in six. So oh. why am I as a fan buying back in this? I year? cannot first of all explain to you how hesitant I was for this podcast, but I love the first question. Thank yeah. you. Answer that, Anthony. Well, I'll preface it by saying that I believe this year is very similar to last. I think they're the third best team in the division. I don't believe that if they finish third and draw either Colorado or Dallas in the first round, that it will be any different. And I, I will point out like why this team might be different than previous years. But if you go back and look, I haven't picked the wild to win those first round playoff series very often. I didn't pick them to beat Dallas last year. I did pick them to beat St. Louis the year before, and I still believe they should have won that series. But most of those years I've thought going into the series, the other team was better. And I don't, I don't think this team right now is ready to beat Colorado or Dallas in a playoff series assuming that there's no major changes or injuries to any of those teams. So I think the December Hopathon should be on. I believe this team will be in the playoffs again, but I don't think this is a team that's built to beat one of those elite teams out of the division. So then what would you say the ceiling of this wild team? I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a playoff team. Yeah, I think I, well, I thought we just talked about this last week. I thought coming into the year they were the third best team in the division. I still think they are. Winnipeg has banked a lot of points right now, so if you were a betting man, it would be hard to say that you're going to bet that the Wild are going to catch the Jets. But I, last year at this time, I said the same thing, and Minnesota finished 
well ahead of Winnipeg. Winnipeg was in about the same spot. And I said, I believe the Wild are better. And it was Winnipeg that had to win like three out of their last four just to get in the playoffs. You know, it's so if you're if you're placing a bet in Vegas, you bet on them being a wild card team. But, you know, I, I do think they're a better team than Winnipeg. It's just a matter of if the Wild have to overcome a seven game losing streak and the Jets would have to really fall on their face like they did last year. Yeah, I don't know. I like this Winnipeg team so much better than you. I think this one. Maybe, uh, yeah. but I'm just saying that there's similarities to last year where at this point they were in almost exactly the same spot mm-hmm. with almost exactly the same lead over Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I said last year, I thought they would fall and Minnesota would pass them and they did by a lot. Yeah. I don't know that you, I would have bet on it, but I think Minnesota's just better than them. So I think that last year's, last year's loss would have been very different if Eric Sinek was healthy. And I, I look at this team. I don't think they're as good as last year's team yet. I don't love, I don't love their blue line. I think that they need their, you know, they, they're to me a veteran. Maybe, but I'll tell you what, assuming that everybody's healthy at the end, Mm -hmm. I think this year's blue line's better. Zach Bogosian's been a better player than I ever thought he would be. Right. In this last two weeks or so, when he's had to fill in and play more than normal. He's been good since he has come back from injury. And if he's your fifth guy, Brock Faber's a lot better. He's He and brings Dumb. so much more than Matt Dumba to the top four. Right. That I believe this if year's defensive core is better. I, you know, it just concerns me that 6D spot with Merrill or Goligoski, right, two guys they, that weren't in the play. They had they John didn't. Klingberg in their right. lineup last year. Well, These one, guys are all better that than that. That one was a killer. Uh, that was an absolute killer. Next. All right, this is more of a Russo question. Um, so I'm a huge Billy guy. And I think he has changed the culture of a team. But he also did come in here and buy out veteran guys. And in two years, we're done with the what are 90% of the cap hit. I think there's still 860,000 cap hit after that for five, six years, something like that. Right. Um, but you get the majority of it out of the way. So you're like, all right, in two years' time, we got 16 extra million to deal with. But then all of a sudden, coming into this year, you re-sign Felino to four years. You re-sign Hartman. Motstick is still signed until 25, 26. Right. Where it seems like we're kind of just... Rinsing and repeating the same thing. Yep. Who'd you say was 2026? Who? I think that's Lino Hartman. Okay. I, think that's, I think that's Hartman. Okay. I thought, uh, oh, you said Matt's. Oh, I, I sorry. Was, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to figure out who you were saying there. So you're saying, you're asking what happens and. Yeah. I just feel like we bought back into this whole thing. Yeah. No, after the I agree. I, like that to me is why it, it, it was like, I, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to win now. You know, I'm worried, one, how they age. I do think the Rossi and Goudreau resignings don't exactly Goudreau. happen um, if they believed in Marco Rossi at the time. And I, that's another reason why I think that, yeah, Hartman and Goudreau. Um, and I think that if they had believed in him, um, they probably at least don't resign one of those guys. Right. Um, so I think that's concerning. Um, the other thing, money-wise, is Faber is going to get paid Big time. Yeah, that's why it's confusing that you yeah. extend all those. Like by the end yeah, of the contracts, Harmon and Felino are. Yep. they're going to be expensive for what they're going right. to be providing. Now, the, now eventually their no moves are going to be off the table in a couple of years, and they will have value. And you know, even though they've got some no trade uh, protection in their contract, if they're if they haven't fallen completely on their face, you could probably trade those guys. Especially a guy like Felino, who's extremely respected in the league uh, by. A, everybody in this league. I mean, I think you can move him. 
But I, I think that people don't realize how much money Faber is about to get on his next Yeah, team. I think the Faber one's interesting because the question will be, do you try to get him locked up for seven or eight years like they did with Brodeen and Spurgeon, or do you do the shorter-term deal yep. and let him to bet on him, let him bet on himself? I agree with you with the the... I don't think they. it was that they didn't believe in Rossi. I think they had lost a little confidence. They weren't certain. Right. They still thought he was going to be a good player, but they were. it was more of a, a less of a certainty. Right. So you had to make sure you had these other guys locked up. And I think it's a valid question because, but I also think what they've done is they've built their core, the guys that'll be their role players, now you got those guys locked in. And at each one of them, if you look at just the deal itself, without looking at the whole roster, I think all of them are fair market prices for these players. And now you've got that certainty set up for all your depth and role type guys. The, the future of this team and the plan, Billy's plan is all dependent on the young stars being stars. And right now, I'm excited about the group. When you look at Kaprizov, Rossi, Boldy, Faber, you're looking at four guys that are superstars. Not yet, but they look like they're going to be superstars. Not just good players like the last core was with Zucker, Coyle, Brodeen, that group, Granlin, Niederreiter. They were all good players. These guys are stars. So now you fill in with those role player guys and you lock those guys up. The Gaudreau, Hartman, Felinos, the guys that are going to be your penalty killers, your third line guys, the the veteran presence for young guys. And that's, I think why he was quick to lock those guys up. I don't want to pivot back to something that we were talking about the wilds ability or inability to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. Are you guys worried that this team and some of these guys on this team continue to get hurt? Not only wow. in the playoffs, which is a different animal, yeah. right? I mean, Erickson got battered last right. year, right? But it, there's guys that can't stay healthy in the regular season. Are you worried about the inability mm -hmm. this early in the year to stay healthy? Because we're always saying if they get healthy, if they get healthy. Well, if they get healthy, who's saying they stay healthy, right? Yeah. What's crazy about this question, Michael, is this was almost my last question to Anthony before we ended the first segment. Um, like, Anthony, are you concerned about Spurge and Broads, especially that they continually like Spurge, this is every year now. Yeah. And um and even Marcus, uh, you know, has been uh got banged up you know, a lot the last couple of playoffs going in. Uh he had the knee, and then, you know, uh, again, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about him. And Erickson Eck, he the way he plays Zuki has been Zuccarello is he's at his age too. I think mm -hmm. you have to be concerned, although he's really he, for the most part, has been healthy since he's been here. Yeah, and minor injuries but here. But going and there. into last year, I think he was he was not healthy. Right. You know? And so I think it's a valid question about the defenseman, and because people always ask the question, "Can you win with defensive with a defensive core that's as small as the Wild?" And the reason they ask is because you get beat up at that position. And so Spurge plays like a warrior. I mean, he he plays bigger than his size. He blocks shots. He, but his game is based on skating and he's had trouble staying in the lineup for a full season. I think it's a legitimate question because of the fact that we've seen a track record now. Now, Brodeen's is different. Like this injury has nothing to do with his durability. It was a cheap hit that he went awkwardly into the wall. That's going to happen to everybody or anybody. I'm not as concerned about him, but I think it's a, 
it's a legitimate question for Spurgeon moving forward. And I think it's, you hate to speculate, but I think that's a guy that, you know, you have to wonder just how durable he'll be for the remainder of it. He's got a lot of years left on his contract. Yeah, I was going to, it's a Spurgeon thing. Like he's signed for a long time and Spurgeon does really well in the regular season when he's healthy, but it's how many playoffs in a row does he just get mauled in front of the net and he's no longer a shutdown defenseman when penalties aren't called and guys are way more physical. Is that at all a concern where if you're at the deadline, and we're not a lock for a playoff team. Is he someone you move or anything like well, that? Well, they're not going to move him right away. I don't know if he's somebody that you would say is going to be here for the lifetime of his contract. I do think at some point. But he's got Bill, a no move that kicks in in July. Well, no, he's got his, actually, he's got a no move now and it starts to go away. Uh, it becomes a no trade, I'm pretty sure. I thought it was no. I thought he had a no trade that kicked in in July. No, Does it scale me. back in July? No, it scales back. He was under a no move. Like, there is going to come a point, I think, in the life of his contract. I don't think it would happen at a deadline. I think it would be in an off-season move where I think he moves him um, or at least considers it. Um, so he's got a full no move now. And then, um, and I'm the one that apparently is the source on this, so I should remember it. But starting on July <laughs> Never 21, trust your source. Yeah, starting July 1, 2024, he submits a 10-team no-trade list. So it actually diminishes so, yep, July so 1st. It, yep. I thought it went the other way on yep. July 1st. Nope. So uh, he's had a no move, and that's usually the way it works for aging contracts. Same thing with Felino. With uh, Zuki's the only one I think has a no move at the entire time of his contract. But same thing with Hartman and uh, Hartman and uh, and Felino is that they got no moves for the first couple years, and then it becomes no trades. So technically, um, starting this summer with four years left on his deal, he can be traded uh, after so, July. Yeah, after July. But um, to your point. Um, he did not. He's not coming off a great postseason. Uh, he was on the on the ice for I think nine goals, I think that's maybe even more years in a row. Though. Yeah, he hasn't. You know, two years ago, I give him. He was playing with the sports hernia. He was doing it for the entire second half of the season. Remember, missed the w- Winter Classic with it um, last year. As far as I know, he was healthy and just uh, did not have a good postseason at all. He actually might have been on for more than nine. Nine was the amount of penalty kills. I think he was on for actually more. Yeah. I want to transition to coaching. Uh, this wild team has seen mid-season moves from the coaching position a few times now. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk about John Hines. All right. Do we believe that he is really the coach that can lead this team in the playoff? I know you were raving about him off pod before this, but in his four, year, four years and change with mm-hmm. New Jersey, he never had a 100-point year. Mm-hmm. In his you know, two, three, four years in Nashville, granted there were the COVID years, he never had a 100-point season. What makes you believe in the playoffs? This is the guy in a Game 7, win or go home, can scheme up a game plan greater than the guy across. Yeah, great question. Boy, they really did prepare, Anthony. <laughs> I, 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 give you, I give you credit. All right, um, first of all, different teams. Um, the wild, this Wild team, I think, are better than those New Jersey and, and national teams um, overall as a team. Now, he's had, obviously, great individual seasons from certain players, Coach Taylor Hall to an MVP type season had Yossi during Norris year. Um, you know, he obviously benefited from Soros, but I think the, these wild teams are better than those national teams. I think Anthony would agree with that. Um, so that starts, uh, start there. Um, just, uh, you know, I just sat down and chatted with Patrick Kane for, for a long time in the Detroit locker room. And all he did was rave about the type of person that one John Hines is, but the type of coach that he is, um, his attention to details, 
um, the way that when he coached him for two years in the in the national development uh, team was able to really turn a lot of those guys into greater players and and men, especially him, more professional, more mature, um, things like that. I just talked to Alex Tange and he said the same thing that this guy can coach. Um, so I think we've seen it even with the behind the scenes becoming wild that there's just uh, this guy does have an aura to him. And I think that we have to also respect the fact that he, that every time you go to a different situation, I think that you improve as a coach, you do things differently. And I just did a big giant story about how behind the scenes during his time off here, he took advantage of it by, by shadowing the Vanderbilt team, by shadowing the San Jose Sharks and the Tampa Bay Lightning coaching staffs and trying to figure out ways to get better, calling the people that fired him even and sitting down with players that he coached, how do I get better? And, um, and even Patrick Kane, somebody that he calls all the time to say, how do I do this? How do I help with, uh, how do I deal with different types of stars and, and th- things like that? So I don't know. I, I just, I think that you have to look at every different situation and, and not look at just what his records were in Nashville and New Jersey and say, that's going to be a repeat of what it is here in Minnesota. Yeah, but we don't know yet. Exactly. We won't know until you get into it. And I think he looks like a guy that is probably a guy that would be good at adjustments within a series, but we're learning as we watch him or 13 games into it and learning about him as a person, but also the way he adjusts within games and from game to game. I think it'll be interesting to watch our previous coach. I think Dean will be better wherever he goes next, Mm -hmm. because when we were talking about the playoff series, the last couple of years, I thought he got out coached in both of those series. And I thought last year, it was Dallas had a more even keel approach to the series. Dean's hot bloodedness bled over into the team and the team lost their minds at key times during the game. I thought the year before Craig Berube made the aggressive moves to change his goaltender, to change his lineup earlier, faster in the series than Dean did. And it allowed St. Louis to swing the series. So I, I think you have to get into those spots before you can answer the question. I don't think, I agree with Michael in that I don't think you can just say, hey, this happened before, so therefore he's not a great playoff coach because you don't know what those matchups were and they might have been in over there. They might have overachieved just to get in. I think that was the case with one of the Nashville teams for sure. Um, okay, follow-up to that. So I think Dean was a little bit of a fall guy for Billy. Anytime a coach goes out there, it's $16 million under his opposing team. It's tough to win. Right. But obviously, John Hines has done something. Um, goaltending's up 7 8%, I think, save percentage. Um, I think he's more willing to switch lines mid-game where Dean was very kind of set. He let guys roll with their lines. Is there anything you two have noticed, like structurally? Because I don't think a high danger uh, percentage has changed that much. Is there anything like that you guys have noticed on why all of a sudden everything's working yeah. out? Well, I mean, one of the first early indications of changes definitely was the penalty kill. You know, first of all, the the deployment of um, going with a pretty much a rotation of four forwards rather than six or even seven, going with the same four D. It just seems like they're very connected. Um, obviously, where they've gotten into trouble even before before that has happened lately with some of the penalty kill goals that they've given up are just not getting clear. So little fundamental things like that. But I think Anthony and I were talking on the first segment. It really just does start with goaltending. The other thing, though, is there's just little things that he does differently. I don't think there was a lot of faith in the third pair um, under Dean Evison and Bob Woods. And so a lot of times you would um, they would sit there and not throw they throw the third pair in offensive zone situations with the top line. Here we always see Brock Faber out there, usually, 
with the top line. And I think that's one reason why the top line or Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Boldy are playing better is that they're just, you know, it's a little harder now, obviously, with Brody and Spurgeon out. But when Brody and Faber were together, they were out there all the time with the top line. Yeah. And so there's little strategic things like that. Little things like that. And I do think he's had a a knack for a little bit of minor line juggling within games for sure. And even from game to game where Dean was more of a, this is the way. But this year, Dean was a lot more aggressive with that. He made, he changed his lineup a lot more quickly than he had in the past yeah some of it and some of it's driven by injury and things like that but i but I he really does have think, he does have guts i mean he yeah, sits there he's sure. put kept hartman on the fourth line but, he separated zucro and Kaprizov. He, yeah you know. and the hartman thing though made sense because he they had won he, the first they won the first couple him. games and so you you didn't want was playing well on the third line right you didn't want to disrupt things but i think the i think number one is they started getting saves they have the second best save percentage in the league since the coaching change. They were 30th when they made the change. And good goaltending makes a coach look smart. Then the second thing is we kept waiting the last couple of weeks under Everson, feeling like all it's going to take is one night where the pucks start going in and all of a sudden the confidence is back. And it never happened. And the game in Detroit, the last time, the last game for Dean, the last time the Wild saw the wings, was the first time I felt like the team looked like they just couldn't figure it out, like they were lost. They, the thousand-mile stares on the bench, the what has happened to us looks, the team just had lost confidence. It's amazing how different you look when all of a sudden that confidence is restored. And so I think that happened. I, will, I do also think that I think John Hines has done a great job of slowly feeding little parts of the game to the team where – we want to be able to do this, 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 but I can't throw it all at them night one. I got to, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So they, they, they do, they, they, and because he's slowly do that, they all know like different routes that they're supposed right. to be, where guys are going to be. Even today at the morning skate was all designed to get them back into a competitive atmosphere. This right. was not your typical morning so, skate. But night. I always think with a coach, the big, the first, and maybe most important test is how do you handle the first time it doesn't work? The first time you lose four out of five, five out. Now, does the team still look confident? And they had a little bump in the road on that road trip where they they looked flat in Vancouver for the last two games and then on the second of back-to-backs got outplayed and run over most of the night by Edmonton. But then they responded with a really solid all-around effort in Seattle. But that was a little glimpse of it. But you got to have a what happens when you have two games in a row where you outshoot somebody 40 to 20 and the puck doesn't go in and you lose three to one. And then you maybe you get clipped a couple times in a row. Then what happens? How do you respond to that? That's when we'll know if this guy has if it's different. All right. uh, Let's uh, take a quick break here and uh, let's hear about Royal Credit Union. Do more with Royal Credit Union's mobile app. The Royal Mobile app lets you receive real-time account alerts, deposit checks, send money to family and friends, pay bills, and more. It's quick and easy to manage your accounts from anywhere, and you can even log in with your fingerprint or face. Open your Royal Credit Union account and enjoy our top-rated mobile app. Learn how easy it is to get started with the Royal Credit Union mobile app at rcu.org slash gomobile, insured by NCUA. We just wrapped up an incredible holiday season and so many outstanding meals. 
whenever we've got company coming and entertaining for the holidays, Kowalski's is the place to go. We had a our Feast of Seven Fishes night. A good chunk of the fish came from the Kowalski's counter. The charcuterie trays were unbelievable. So it I just can't recommend it enough. I had a solid dinner last night with some good friends from Baltimore at our house and uh, stopped and picked up an Akaushi filet and the Kowalski scallops are always among my favorites. So we just we just came off a great holiday season. And actually, at our last podcast, we found out that our good friend Brian Dahl, who's with us on all of our Europe trips, is going to Portugal with us. He said, I don't know why you haven't talked about the fact that Kowalski's, like, they have pre-made turkeys for you. So if you want to, I guess it's too late now to have it with your Christmas dinner, but if you got a holiday coming up where you <laughs> want to have a full turkey, you said you order it ahead, they full thing comes fully prepared stuff the whole works that's awesome yep so i i can't confirm that because i haven't tried it but he says you can get it so anyway check it out whenever you got a great meal coming up you got to start with the great ingredients go to kowalski's and here's a word from chris lindahl real estate a guaranteed cash offer from chris lindahl real estate is exactly what you need right now everyone can see the real estate market is cooling off quickly well don't be one of the houses that doesn't sell be a smart seller and get a guaranteed cash offer today. There are no commissions, no repairs, and no open houses. Chris Lindahl Real Estate's guaranteed offer puts you in control so you can sell your home fast. The economy and housing market are becoming more uncertain, and homeowners just like you want to make sure you cash in on your equity. And that's why thousands of clients work with Chris Lindahl Real Estate. They have over 4,000 five-star reviews because their guaranteed offer works. You sell your home quickly, stress-free, and move when it's convenient for you. Just go to chrislindahl.com for a free, no-obligation, guaranteed cash offer. It's available 24 hours a day. They'll make you an as-is cash offer on your home fast. Whether it's a total fixer-upper or in perfect condition, Chrislindahl Real Estate's guaranteed cash offer is the easiest way to sell your home. To find out what your guaranteed cash offer would be, go to chrislindahl.com right now and start packing. Terms and conditions apply. All right, back here, we're seeing the house, Michael Russo, Anthony LePanter, final segment of the show. January 16th is our next live show at Tuttle's. Uh, all these great Twitter questions that we got, we will save for our next podcast uh, early next week uh, because uh, Vinny LaPanta and his buddy Michael yeah, Waters are doing a well, great these, job. It's kind of like, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're Michael Russo followers on Twitter. Yeah, people, uh, people, yep, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll I think that people will be more intrigued by this podcast than any other ones that we do because we're yep. getting really well, good. I gotta, we'll see what the, you got to see what the next questions are first. Right, yep. So far, I don't think they've really put you on the spot yet. All right. Great. <laughs> Is, does that mean you know what's coming or no? no? Okay. Very good. Yeah. I mean, we are, the, you guys are in the press box. We are Twitter. Like we are in the trenches. These are the, twi- these are the questions they want to know. Yeah. You guys are, you're not Twitter trolls. I hope. No, no. You blocked a few of them. All right. I've asked this question to Vinny all the time, mainly during our losing streak. I wanted to know what he thought the true identity of this wild. Because sometimes it feels like there really is none. Mm-hmm. And maybe the identity is inconsistent. But lately, I feel like that's changed. Maybe it's the young stars. I, don't, I would like to know what your guys' thoughts on what is the true identity of this wild team. Yeah. I think he'd be good in the front office to start asking tough questions to, to Billy and, uh, and the, and the group. Um, yeah, I know yeah. It, 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 you definitely wouldn't be a yes, man. I think that's good. I, I think the biggest identity with this team is hard work. I mean, they really, you know, like to me, that's the one thing I never doubt with this, with this group 
is and it's not the grid it's just the constant showing up and and exuding effort i don't remember we've seen times where they're flat but it's not never been lack of effort yeah and and we saw that last game like that last boston game it was a grind and uh and they had played a ton of hockey they've been traveling a ton um as anthony has mentioned multiple times on this podcast they've played the fewest amount of home games in the league that stuff wears on you but you never really you know like to me like and and I just talked to a bunch of Detroit players too. Anytime anybody plays the Minnesota Wild, they know they better bring their work boots or they're going to lose. And it, it it's I mean that's just a reality. Yeah, I think the hard work and structure is their identity because even with even when they were losing the those last seven games under Dean Evison, they still were number two in the league in high danger chances against. They just don't give much, and that's why if you get any saves this team's going to be a handful and they will, they'll be a playoff team. They're still for the season, I believe number two and fewest high danger chances, five on five against. So to me, that's what the identity is. It's that they're, they're they work hard, play with structure and they're still only going to go as far as their defensive core can carry them. Cause I don't think up front, the young guys bring energy, but I wouldn't say that's the identity of the team. Mm-hmm. The grinder guys we talked about earlier, the Felinos, Hartman's, I think they're good for the the core and the structure and the attitude, but they're not what I would say is they don't define the identity of the team. Yeah, The identity of the team is a top four defensive core that you put up against anybody when they're healthy and a team that plays with a lot of structure. Yeah, but I, I, again, I, I think that this team battles. Like You put an Erickson Eck out there against somebody, a Felino out there against somebody, a Hartman out there against somebody, a Bogosian, a Maroon, um, but even like Kaprizov, um, there's just, yeah, even Zuki, there's just a, there's a battle level to this team that I feel is unlike a lot of teams in the league. And I think that is the character within this, uh, this room. I mean, and, and I think that is partly because they've kept so many of their core guys for so long. Um, quick question for Russo mm-hmm. when, uh, the wild drafted Erickson Eck, um, ahead of Besser, mm-hmm. you would have liked the wild to t- take Besser. Do you mm-hmm. still think like straight up you would take Besser over Eric Snack? No, no, no. I would okay. definitely not do that. Um, yeah, I I first of all, I will say this. Um, if you ask any scout that was around back then, everybody would say you take the center every day of the week. Um, and I will say at the time, I, I didn't question the move at all. Now then when Besser got into the league and started scoring goals, then you start to look and questioning the move. But it was definitely not at the time. I have never in my life um covered a team that I've covered draft a player where I questioned it because I don't know anybody even last year when everybody online was going on and on about the scramble pick to me it was like way too early to to judge and it to me it's still way too early to judge now does it look like it's going to be a problem when Gabe Perot becomes a pro and he lights it up they're going to second guess it but right now I still think it's way too early so um you know and one of the biggest um, examples I have of that is in 2011 when the Wild drafted Jonas Brodin, um, a columnist in this town, just annihilated the team for taking a soft sweet over a, you know, you know, meat eating Canadian like Duncan Siemens. I don't even know if Duncan Siemens ever played a game in the National Hockey League. Um, Jonas Brodin's been here forever, so and has had an unbelievable career. So I never ever. This is one sport. Whereas a hockey writer, unless you're a prospects writer, I I would never question a decision. 
So okay, um, I would also like both but, of you. But I will do have a unbelievable recollection of sitting in the Anaheim Ducks practice rink next to Brent Flair one day to do a story on Eck versus Besser, and the decision went into that. And he looked at me like I was from outer space that I was even questioning. Really? So I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with your overall, like two, three years later, saying that I questioned it. Yes. Um, I would like both of you to give one piece of criticism on Billy so far as a GM. On Billy so far, I think sometimes he acts impulsively. Um, you know, when he gets pissed off, he'll just make a move. Uh, you know, even I think a lot of times, and I've said this before in the podcast, there's this belief that anytime a front office does anything that it's months and weeks of deliberations a lot of times with billy it is impulsive the talbot trade is a great example he had no yeah although and i agree with you because yeah. that's that would be my knock and i mm -hmm. the and the talbot trade to me was uh, it felt at the time like what are we doing and mm -hmm. it felt it's like a hundred but it has yeah. in hindsight although talbot, man is like in the talbot's business been incredible yeah. but gus right now uh -huh. looks like yeah. and i don't know i it would be i'd be interested to someday hear from because billy alluded to it last year that they didn't really know what they were getting in gus and when i heard that i thought you can't trade cam talbot for a guy that you don't know what you're getting that yeah. it, now it turns out it turned out okay and really when you look at the any of the other moves that were made they really haven't made a major move yet where he hasn't given away a piece of the future. He hasn't pulled the trigger on a major act. Everything's been a little minor. Yeah, so I, he really, I mean, if you look at the core of this team, there's not, other than Middleton, there's no real acquisition that right. he and brought he, in. And other he didn't than, give know, up much yeah. to get Middleton, yeah. didn't give up much to It'll get Johansson. It'll be interesting what happens once now he gets a lot more flexibility in a couple right. of years. Because the one thing about Bill is he is a bold guy, but he's been handcuffed. Now, a lot of it, people would say he did to himself, but Remember, if Breezy and Suter were still here, they'd it'd be worse in terms right. of their money. Um, like, you know, the, he did not create this cap situation. What he created is this cap situation having two fewer players for the cap. Right. But, you know, that, that, that would be what. Yeah, so I, I think I, my first thought would have been the same as yours, that it, it feels like yeah. maybe there are some I mean, even the way fast the, twitch yeah, moves yeah, yeah. made. Yeah. But it's hard to criticize that because the fast twitch moves haven't hurt them. Right, exactly. So, uh, but I think that's, I think the jury is out on that. And I, I've said from the beginning, and I'll say it again, and I, I would, I think the time to judge Billy and his plan is two years from now. Because at this point, everything looks like it's headed in the right direction. If it doesn't work, that's when we'll know. And that's where he has to be judged because the Parisi Suter signings and then buyouts were not he didn't your point is right he didn't create that but it was hard to win until that was over and so uh, everything he's done all the moves he's made the way he's built the the system and the roster i think the time to judge that is two years from now yep about five more minutes left in the show okay so this is kind of not too far off topic so after the wild bought out suter and Parisi, the wild conducted what i would call a competitive rebuild do you think that competitive rebuild was successful? You know, we're not five years down the road. We're only a few, but do you think that was a successful competitive rebuild knowing we haven't got out of the first round? Do you think Billy and ownership regret maybe not, maybe not tanking, but maybe bottoming out more? Mm -hmm. I know it's tough to do in the NHL to really tank, but do you think they regret 
this kind of competitive rebuild. You're so, uh, it's so hard to believe that you're John Waters' brother. But anyway, uh, because John's so like hyper. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. uh, I've heard Michael in a hyper state too. I know it exists. Well, when I've heard some chortling in the basement at the wee in the wee hours, I know it's happened. I, I think the, to some degree, you don't know the answer to that question until two years from now. And because if, if then they are a legitimate contender, and I'm not even saying you have to win it for it to have worked because hockey's such a fickle game, but you have to be a legitimate contender, a team that when the playoffs start, people are looking at the West saying, these are one or two or three that could win it all. And Minnesota's got to be one of those. If that's the case, then the competitive rebuild worked because the first part of it has worked. They've stayed competitive. They go to the playoffs every year. Nobody has done that. Nobody's been to the playoffs more than the wild in the last 11 years. So they've stayed competitive, but now in order to determine whether or not the rebuild worked, I think is two years from now, you have to be a legit, you have to be where Dallas, Vegas, and Colorado are right now, where whatever happens in the playoffs, you went in as the favorite. Because yeah. now if a goalie gets hot and you get knocked out, it doesn't mean your plan failed. It just means you lost to a hot goalie or you, your but, best player uh, you know, gets to injured your or question, whatever. Succinctly, like, I don't think they regret it. I mean, this has been, if, if Craig Leopold regretted this, he bought the team in 08 and he's had the same attitude since 08. He wants the building full and he wants to make the playoffs every year. If he wanted to bottom out, he could have absolutely instructed his uh, one, two, three, now four GMs to do that if you include Risebro. Um, who whom he fired, uh, you know, right soon after taking the team. Uh, or, sorry, a year later. Um, so, like, I personally would love to see one day. I don't want to cover the games leading into the it, it, during the rebuild, but then when they come out of it, I'd love to cover it. And that's the one thing I will say that sometimes, even like Anthony and I have gotten over the you know disagreements over this for years on quote unquote bottoming out. But we've seen, I mean, Edmonton at bottom out multiple times, got multiple first, over, first overall picks and still hasn't gotten to that hump. Colorado. Colorado finally did once, but it took them many years of misery. And a great example of this now is Chicago. Um, everybody thought that like just adding Connor Bedard would, would help matters. He's the best rookie in the league talent-wise by far, and they absolutely are brutal. And it's very clear they've got a long way to go to become a competitive team. That's going to support him. So, so would you rather be in the wild or the Edmonton place right now? Um, obviously, the yeah. Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. David, Drysital, and Nurse on the same team at the same time under yeah. those contracts. But Too much got, of your money is into those yeah. three guys, and I just don't think you can build a competitive team around them. They they, they the, have gotten close to they, the finals over the last couple of years, but I mean. they've had. This, if you want to talk about a bottoming out plan, they had the number one overall pick four times. They picked in the top 10, nine times in a 10 year span. And yet they still have never made a run. They went to the Western Conference Finals once, I believe, during that whole time, missed the playoffs a number of times during that time. And that's with not only having the number one pick, but having the number one pick when a generational player was the number one. Having the number three when Leon Dreisaitl was available at number three. It, Taylor Hall was a number one who won a Hart Trophy. It's not like they had the number one pick when Nolan Patrick was the number one pick coming out. They had it in great years and still couldn't put it together and win. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, last question. Last question? Yep. 
Um, you're like I know AJ is the physics major, but I think you get a short shrift in the intellect department of the Lapanta household. I'm I, just telling I couldn't you. agree more. Yeah. Um, all right, last question. You would question. never leave your laptop just sitting in a park and then be shocked an hour later when it was missing. Nope. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> never done that. Um, like you said, Craig, Le- Craig Leopold, the owner, wants butts and seats and make the playoffs every year. Mm-hmm. Do you think this organization or ownership's main focus is winning? I only ask as you resign Flino, Zuccarello, Hartman to extensions who are players that you know can get you there, but have yet to prove it, at least here right. in Minnesota, they can win. And then add to the fact you also have our captain getting asked what's the most important thing about hockey, and he says having fun. Don't you think the captain and the GM should be on the same page, especially ownership as well? Like, hey, we're here to win. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Billy put the captain on the same page. <laughs> Became a T-shirt. They're on the same page yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> um, um, trust me, Craig wants to win, um, and and he gives his GM the license to create the winning. His job bends to the cap every year. I know that people are like, like lately, I've seen some people like, you know, oh, Craig, uh, you know. That some people are saying, uh, pointing out that Craig, you know, is essentially also what sixteen million less in actual salary cap this year. Right? He paid eighty eight each to those players in a in a you know nine year span. Uh, he has spent his money. He's put his money where his mouth is. He took an arena that essentially was uh, owned by the state and and or the county or whatever it is, and essentially paid them back now and 85%. That's one reason why they're going to the state to try to get money to gut the arena and try to do a renovation project that I think they've hit the brakes a little bit here lately and waiting maybe for interest rates to go down. And that's why you haven't read a lot about it from me yet. Um, but I think that he's been a fabulous owner. People might not like his philosophies and things like that. I think the Paul Fenton hire was clearly a mistake. That's something that they tried to um, rectify by putting Mike Madano in the interview process going on and having people asking hockey questions. But I think for the most part, he's been a tremendous owner for this franchise. Um, but again, like that's, that is Bill Guerin. You hire your general manager and he's the one that makes that decision. Now, uh, do I agree? He's do not I, handcuffing him yeah. by saying yeah. you can only spend this amount. No, no, I'm yeah. saying that, like if the main concern is winning, it seems odd that you're not like at some point, you can't just keep retrying the same well, thing with I, the same I, guys. Look, that's a different subject. I don't disagree with you there. Like, if I'm the owner, maybe do I question those yeah. decisions a little harder at the time? But the one thing that Craig Leopold has always made it clear is that he's not the hockey guy, and he trusts his hockey guys to make the right moves. And um, But, you know, back to your imp- the impulsive question I have, there's a good example of Billy, I think, being impulsive. That was, like, spur of the moment. Like all summer long, that he made it very clear to me that he was waiting, waiting, and waiting. And then all of a sudden in camp, he meets with them together and re-signs them essentially together, even though it took Hartman a little while longer to get his deal done. Um, there's an impulsive decision um, by a general manager, and there's been man- many other of those decisions. Now, it might turn out to be the right thing. He loves the core of this team. He wants to win. Um, but to me, that's not, that's not an ownership question. That's more of a management question. I think he's handed those guys everything they need to be competitive. Everything an owner can give you. Got a great facility, great practice facility. Players want to come here. That's the extent of the owner's role is to make sure that you've got an environment set that attracts other players and that when players come here, they want to stay. He's done that part. Now it's on the hockey guys to figure out a way to win. Yeah. Good job, guys. I'm I'm upset that I, uh, that I, was giving uh, your dad 
so much grief about this show. I was a little nervous where you're going to come from. I said I thought they were astute followers of the Minnesota Wild and the yeah, Worst we Seats in the House podcast. We haven't missed a game in years. I think it went so well that we should be I'm, probably doing a post-regular season debrief pod <laughs> and hopefully a playoff preseason. Yep, you pod. proved your you've proved your worth to me 100%. That is done. So react in a knee-jerk fashion and yeah. sign him to a contract. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get Vinny to come back here more often though. He never comes here. Yeah, we got we got it, Billy. <laughs> Uh, so, hey, thanks for doing this. Uh, Anthony, any final thoughts or no? Nope. Uh, January 16th is our next live show at Tuttle's. Uh, come down there early, uh, have dinner. You get a uh, you buy a pint of grain belt and you get the glass that comes in. Uh, limited supplies, though, but it's a great worth seats in the house. Uh, glass. Uh, thanks, as always, to Aquarius Home Services. They're your installers of Connecticut water treatment systems, plumbing, heating and air conditioning. This is their uh, studio on remote location. Uh, thanks to our newest sponsor, Huxley Optical. Osh Law Firm, Aquarius Home Services, as I mentioned. Owen Lodge on Lake Winnebagoshish. Royal Credit Union, Kowalski's, and Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Thanks, everybody. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. Oh, but the world